0: We are in uh, week four of our First Samuel series, and uh, I, I just want to start out with, uh, with this idea. Um, by the way, n- not feeling well, that's why my voice is a little lower this morning. A little Barry White going on. It doesn't work when you're sick, but uh, anyway, it should. Uh, so week four, and I want to start out this way. Think about, um, think about this. Satan will use your current situation to tempt you to sin. So think about the current situation that you're in. It doesn't matter what it is, whether you're on a a mountaintop or whether you're in a valley or whether you're somewhere in the middle, Satan is going to use your current situation to try and tempt you to sin. He's a master at manipulation. And so wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you're at in your life, no matter what's going on, he's going to try to use the situations and circumstances of your life to get you to sin. He's a raging fire, okay? Never is quenched, and he's constantly trying to get you to take more steps uh, to sin. And so he'll always use your current situation to tempt you to sin. But on the flip side of that, God uses your current situation to get you to grow. And so you, you know the story, probably you've heard the story of the two wolves that live in each of us. And, and, and one of them is, I don't even remember how it goes, one of them is angry, and one of them is kind, and, and you say, which one survives? The, the ones that you feed. And so in every area of our lives, we have Satan trying to tempt us to sin, and God using that same exact situation to try and get us to grow. Let me, um, let me explain it this way, maybe give you a little example that maybe you uh, uh, can uh, connect with better. How many of you remember or know of a young lady named Hannah Montana? Anybody know Hannah Montana? Yeah, if you've got kids, you know Hannah Montana. If you're uh, maybe in high school or something, you probably grew up with Hannah Montana. In the early 2000s, every little girl dreamed of being Hannah Montana. Nobody really cared for, uh, for Hannah Stewart. That was her other alter, not so cool ego. Um, but everybody wanted to be Hannah Montana. And if you're not a Hannah Montana fan, uh, maybe this one will get you. What about Jason Bieber? Anybody know Jason Bieber? Like Jason Bieber? Yeah. He liked Backstreet Boys 2.0. A little bit, something like that. Uh, Justin Bieber came on the scene about 2009, became the first artist ever to have seven songs from a debut record chart on the Billboard Top 100. Everybody had Bieber fever. Hannah and Bieber topped the list for kids and, and for teens for many years. Everybody wanted to be them. They knew their songs. They played them on the radio. They dressed like them, all that kind of stuff. What you may not know, or perhaps forgot, is that each of these artists, in their younger years, talked openly about their faith in Jesus. They even talked about the status of so many who got famous and then gave up on God. Hannah Montana and and Justin Bieber talked about their faith and their future, expecting to be the light on the hill for their generation but like so many others before them and so many others after. Their popularity led to pride, and what could have been a great story of faith for each of them became a spectacle of failure. Maybe not for their artist career, but certainly for their faith. Miley and Justin, along with King Saul, point to one undeniable truth about what's important to God. God's not about your show he wants you to grow. God doesn't care about what's going on the outside and, and what you wear and how you look and the highlights in your hair. He doesn't care about that stuff. That, that, that's why we say you can come to church however you come to church, whatever you're comfortable. Wear shorts, you got your hair messed up or whatever. God's not, God doesn't care about that outside stuff. He cares about whether or not you're growing in your walk and in your faith, your walk with him. You know, if we wrote our own story, if each of us were in charge of, of writing our own life story, every one of us would be a, a Cyrus or a Bieber, probably. Maybe not, maybe not acting or, or singing. Maybe that doesn't, doesn't do it for you. Maybe you're not in that uh, genre, that realm. But, 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 but your story would be similar because everybody's story, if we wrote our own, would end with the same two things, fame and, and fortune. That's what we want. We want to be known by other people. We want other people to like us. We want other people to be excited when we show up. We want them to clap when we walk in the room. We want their eyes to turn towards us when we come in. And we want to have the money to be able to do the things that we want to do. And so no matter how we write our story and no matter what is going on in our life, we're all going to try and end up in the same place. We're going to try to be important and make sure that we have money. What we often fail to realize, though, is that while we're busy writing our story, Satan is busy crafting our demise. And it doesn't matter to him when or how we fall just as long as we stop following God. And Satan is a master at this. If your life is in a current state of obscurity, right? Like nobody knows you, you feel like nobody really cares about you, nobody looks when you walk in the room, Satan will try to make you feel entitled, like, like you deserve that kind of praise. You deserve that attention. And, and, and pretty soon, you're going think, to think you deserve it so much you begin to demand it. And so he'll use your current situation there. If your life is in an, an arc of popularity, you know, maybe, um, maybe for some reason you got a promotion or, or, or maybe uh, something happened in your life and, and you begin to get more popular, Well, Satan's going to try to plant some pride in your life. And you're going to start saying, saying, "Look, look at me. And you're going to try to be the focus. Maybe you're in a point in your life where you're under a lot of scrutiny. Maybe you've gained some popularity and all of a sudden people are starting to look at you a little more and pay attention a little more. And they're starting to kind of put you under a microscope a little more. Well, Satan may cause you to to seek revenge, to react to those things that people are trying to make stick to you. Satan will attempt to use your current situation to cause you to sin, no matter what your current situation is. But at the same time Satan is trying to tempt you to sin, God will be trying to get you to grow. Listen, God loves you right where you are are at Okay, right this morning, sitting in your seat, God loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been into. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. It doesn't matter how your hair is. He loves you. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you do. His goal really is you. He's crazy about you. You matter to God. And and what I mean by this is that he's not after you for what you can do for him. He's after you for who you are to him. You are his child, and he loves you, and he wants to be in relationship with you. See, God doesn't care if you're the best in show. He just wants you to grow. He doesn't care if all eyes are on you. He He just wants to know, are you growing? Is your relationship with me growing? Is your faith growing? Last week we saw Saul chose convenience in the moment over confidence in God. And Saul was more interested in the show, right? He was more interested in the show before his men who were beginning to scatter. He was interested in the show before his enemies and in thinking that if he made this sacrifice that his enemies would, would, would see what was going on and they'd be afraid to attack him. Saul wasn't growing through that time of patience. And because of this, Saul began to consistently give in to the temptations of Satan instead of allowing God to grow him. And so at that moment that that, that Saul Saul gives in to that temptation to sin and to, and to and to put his stock in the show, Samuel comes, right? If you remember last week and, and says, Look, God, God's, gonna, God's, God's not gonna put up with this. And what we see is that Saul at the height of his popularity here begins to to move downward, and he begins to constantly choose the temptations of Satan in his life. So over and over again, we see Saul refusing to grow in his walk with God and instead choosing to follow Satan and to give in to him. Today, we're gonna see how David had the same opportunities to give in to sin, but instead, he chose to grow up in his faith. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning, and we're going to just look at three verses there, verse 1, verse 6, and verse 7. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1, 6, and 7. Here's what it says. Uh, By the way, you can follow in on your uh, mobile phone, you can follow in on the message uh, notes. If you go to the website, reallifecc.us, click on my message notes, uh, these verses are in there, or you can follow along on the screen. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6 says, When Jesse's sons arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Before Samuel anoints David as king, David has to be called in from the field. David is the youngest son of his father, Jesse, and if you grew up like me as the youngest child, you know the kind of stuff that David had to deal with. Always getting the last and the leftovers and the scraps, right? And the hand-me-downs from his older brother. And so always getting the worst jobs. And so David is out in the field watching over his father's sheep when Samuel calls him in. He's not only the youngest in Jesse's household, but he's the smallest. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't, you know, maybe kind of ruddily good-looking, but he was not a real big... Physical guy. He was smaller than his older brothers, probably, maybe not as strong. And so Samuel calls him in and anoints him as the king of Israel. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Especially if you're as young as, as David is here. In fact, um, for Jewish young men, they turned, excuse me, they became a man at about 14 years old. And so, David, in this moment, as he's anointed king of Israel, he's probably somewhere between 10 and 14 years of age. We don't know exactly, but probably right in there somewhere. Not yet a man then that's why he's out watching his father's sheep. But, but he's about to kind of enter into manhood. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about in chapter 17 where David goes out and fights Goliath. And part of the reason he wasn't out there fighting is because he was the youngest. He wasn't old enough to be able to be a part of that group. So David comes in from the field watching the sheep. Samuel anoints him as the next king of Israel, and you know what he does next? He goes out to watch the sheep some more. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I got anointed king of El Dorado, I would not go back to watching sheep uh, immediately. I don't, I don't know. That, that's probably not a thing. Mayor, whatever. But most of us, you get a promotion, you get a whatever. Most of, we're not very patient in that, those moments, right? Like, I want to get to this. I'm the king, You better start laying rose petals down in front of me and stuff like that. I mean, this is it. It's on. Let's go. But David goes out to watch his father's sheep once again. David's early life is marked by obscurity. He's alone in the wilderness watching sheep, and nobody knows about him, and nobody really cares about him. These were probably lonely years for David. I would think, wouldn't you? You've been anointed king, and, and then you go back out to the, to the field. Nobody's going to believe you. Like, you can't walk around and go, hey, I'm anointed king. First of all, you wouldn't want to do that because if Saul found out, he'd kill you, right? Because he's the king. I'm the king. If David starts going around blabbing to everybody that Samuel's anointed him king, he's going to die. Somebody's going to kill him. So he got to keep it quiet. And, and secondly, nobody would believe him even if he said that. You're a shepherd. You're out here. You're king and and yet you're still watching the sheep like that's ridiculous nobody would do that if no you know you're king but you're spending your days with sheep for your dad there's certainly going to be some opportunity for satan to cause you to start feeling entitled right david probably started going well, wait a minute, where's my robe? Where, where's my crown? Where's the people following me around and, and helping me do things? Why am I out here all by myself? But David doesn't use his time out in the wilderness with the sheep to, to feel entitled. Instead, he uses this time in his life to seek God. And so what we find in these early years of his, of, of, of his uh, a kingship, really after he's been anointed, is that he's developing his skills with a sling and a harp and he's working to discover that God is with him and what that means now during the same time that David is out in the wilderness with the sheep Satan isn't content just to just to get David to sin he literally tries to kill David by sending a bear and a lion after David's sheep but instead of David dying God uses this scheme of Satan to show David his power and that God is with him. And that if God is with David, that anything is possible. And so it's in these obscure years for David that he develops his skill with a sling, that he learns to play the harp really well, and that he goes after these animals, a bear and a lion. The text tells us that he actually attacks them and kills them because they were after his sheep. He learned what was possible with God. And after a few more years of tending the family sheep, King Saul, who's searching for someone to play the harp for him, is told of David's ability at harp playing. That David is brave, that he's a warrior, that he speaks well, that he's fine-looking, and most importantly, it says that the Lord is with him. I think David probably saw his chance here to get into the, the palace, and, and finally he must have thought, I'm going to become king. I've moved from out in the field with the sheep into the palace. But instead, David continues in obscurity, filling a rotation in playing the harp for King Saul whenever he starts to feel bad. In fact, David is in such obscurity, even in the king's employ, that even after David has had a conversation with the king, so David talks with the king, and he's now heading out to fight Goliath in chapter 17, and Saul asks his advisor, whose son is that? Like, dude, Saul, you just had a conversation with this guy. And you don't know who he is? He said, whose son is that? And his advisor doesn't know who, who David is either. He says, well, I don't know. You just, tried to put your, you just tried to put your armor on this guy. You don't even know who he is. David's obscurity continued. David made little impact in those early years of his obscurity. And the fact is that most of us experience those times. We work in jobs that we don't like. We work in jobs maybe that don't pay much because we're, we're maybe trying to get through school or, or do other things. We, we don't have nice things. We don't drive nice cars. We wear hand-me-down clothes, and we feel like nobody really cares about who we are, where we're at, or what's going on in our life. We're not well-known. We don't have our own YouTube channel. We're just trudging through every day trying to make the best of it this time in obscurity is is not a time to waste. David uses this time to develop his trust in God, his abilities with the harp and the sling. And some of his greatest moments, killing the bear and the lion, were done without anybody watching. But those events in the darkness set him up to accomplish the same feats when all eyes were on him. And so my encouragement to you this morning is if, if you feel you're in a time of obscurity where nobody's paying attention to you, you don't feel like you matter, you feel like the stuff that you're doing just isn't really getting out there and you're not getting the notoriety that maybe you feel like you deserve, don't waste this time. Leverage it. Drill down into who you really are. Develop your faith and trust in God and prepare yourself for whatever God writes into your story. Let me give you an example of why I think that's important. Nobody sees the star athlete in the dark gym late at night, practicing free throws one after the other until sinking that shot just becomes habit and it's just muscle memory and I don't even have to think about it anymore. I just take the ball and shoot and it goes in the hole. Nobody's in the stands watching and cheering and applauding when you're shooting those baskets over and over, thousands and thousands of free throws. But without those thousands of minutes in the dark, you'd never make it to that moment in the limelight. We don't leverage obscurity enough, I think, in our lives. We all think we deserve to be in the limelight. We deserve to be the star of of our own story. And and what David shows us is is that in those times of obscurity, we really are able to develop who we are. See, who you are may be discovered when everybody's watching, but it's developed when no one is. David goes out and fights Goliath because he's learned to trust God already. In fact, when he talks to Saul, Saul says, what are you, you crazy? You can't go out and, and fight Goliath. This is what David says. Um, I fought the lion and I fought the bear and I killed them both. This Philistine will be like one of them. He developed that faith and trust in God in the darkness, and when the light would shine on him, he was able to go out and do this incredible thing because he developed those things in obscurity. And so David goes out and surprisingly kills Goliath. And that begins this arc in his life from obscurity to popularity. He goes from the valley to the mountaintop. It's after this victory that David becomes a full time employee for Saul. He, he's still playing the harp some for Saul because he's good at it, but he also now carries a sword. And Saul makes David captain in the military and leverages David's celebrity to rally the troops. Hey, this guy that killed that Philistine Goliath, he's going to be in charge. And you're going to follow him into battle. And everybody was excited. But David doesn't rest on what he's done. He responds to what is still left to do. And so even in this new position with this popularity that he's gained, David continues He gains victory after victory. In fact, David does so well in commanding Saul's army and his company that the people start to sing this song. Saul has killed, it's not a very catchy tune, okay? It's not Bieber, all right? But this is what they sing. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. It doesn't really fit. I don't know, how. maybe a rap, you could do it like that. I don't know. But that's what they're singing as they come into town. And while David's popularity with the people continues to grow, he starts to come under some pretty severe scrutiny from Saul. You see, as your popularity grows, more eyes are on you, more people are watching you. That's why it's so important to develop who you are in the darkness. So that when the light is turned on, you're ready to go. Now, I don't want you to miss this. If you are after God's glory like David, Satan is going to seek your demise. And so if you're sharing your faith at work, he may try to get you fired or or you might get hauled into HR and they'll tell you to be quiet and and quit talking about Jesus. If you're walking out your faith in public, Satan is going to try to get you to fall in public because then he thinks that'll get you to shut up. If you start to lead your family to Jesus, Satan is going to start pointing out all your shortcomings to your relatives. They're going to bring up all those things you've done in, their, in your past and they're going to say, I know who you are. You're not fooling me with all this Jesus stuff. If you start to live for Jesus, you become a liability to Satan. And so Satan will point the spotlight on you stronger in hopes that you'll fail, not that you'll flourish. Satan wants you to fall to that sin. He doesn't want you to grow through that. And so Satan uses the light to try to get you to fail. God uses that to help you grow. Just go back to the example of Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber. The light shone on them pretty bright, and, and I think Satan used that light to get them to fail. In their faith. In David's story, though, Satan leveraged Saul's jealousy to get Saul to try and kill David. And because of Saul's jealousy, everything that David did was under extreme scrutiny because Saul thought David might try a coup. And so Saul attempted five different times to kill David, but David escaped each and every. Time. And the first two times that, that Saul tried to kill David, this was, like, this was not an accident. David was playing his harp. The first two times that this happened, David's playing his harp in, in Saul's chamber. And Saul picks up his spear and chucks it at David. And it sticks in the wall. Saul was trying to impale him to the wall, but David was able to escape. David had already been anointed king, right? Samuel had already anointed king. In fact, it's, it's been probably four or five years or something since Samuel anointed him. And David, knowing he was God's chosen king of Israel, he could have pulled that spear out of the wall and threw it back at Saul, and he could have written himself in to the story as king. But what would that have proved? That David was a better fighter? That David was a better aim? David would have been writing his own story had he retaliated against Saul, and he wouldn't in that moment have been seeking God's glory. He would have given in to the temptation to sin. But that's exactly what you and I do most often, right? Right? We come under scrutiny and and somebody starts to throw arrows or spears at us and we want to take them and shoot them right back. Are you going to come at me like that? I can play that game, and I'm going to talk about all the bad things you've done, all the negative stuff that's gone on in in your life. Instead, David, because he's developed himself in obscurity, he waits for God to write his story, and he just goes, okay, look, Saul's trying to kill me, but I'm not writing my own story. And so he just gets away. And for the next probably 10 years, he just waits for God to make him king. Let's go back to that verse 7 in chapter 16. God told Samuel not to consider Eliab's appearance or height. Now, Eliab is David's older brother because God says, I have rejected him. It's so easy today to get caught up in, in, in what we wear, in how we look, in our body shape or type. In fact, most of us, this is the first and most important thing we consider, how we look. Whether it's for a job or a spot on American Idol or just looking for a spouse, looks are important. And we spend a lot of time and money trying to improve the way we look. But those things aren't important to God. He doesn't care if you've got pectorals or a potbelly. Now, now that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be healthy, okay? I don't want to say that, that God just doesn't care about your, your health or whatever and you can just do whatever. I, I think God does want us to be healthy so he can increase our effectiveness in ministry over time, but he doesn't get hung up on how we look, on the clothes that we wear, on what our hair is like. God says to Samuel, I don't judge people the way people judge people. God doesn't look at us the way that we look at each other. Consider this for just a moment. Eliab and David's two other older brothers, those three were with Saul at the battle lines against the Philistines for 40 days when Goliath came out to taunt the armies of God. Eliab and the other two were there. They heard what Goliath had to say and they did nothing for 40 days and then david shows up and these guys are bigger and stronger and everyone thought better than david to the rest of the world david's brothers were the prime choice for king because they looked the part but what david lacked in handsome he made up for in heart And when he hears what Goliath has to say on day 41, he wastes no time and and he says, who is this Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? See, it's it's what's in your heart that makes you humble, but it's your appearance that can make you arrogant. And, and, And honestly, that's with Satan's problem. His looks. Even today, Satan is more interested in his appearance than his heart. Satan proves this, that you can look good without being good. Paul says in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan knows that he doesn't look good. He knows that he's evil and darkness resides in him. And so he masquerades as somebody else. He puts on a mask. He pretends to be this great guy but he's full of darkness. You and I can fake it for most people, but God's not most people. And God sees what others scorn. Let me give you a quick rundown, just for fun. David was quietly confident He didn't come out and and brag about about the things that he'd done. He didn't tell a bunch of people that he'd killed a lion and a bear, and he didn't just let that be known. But he was confident. God has protected me and allowed me to do this, and so I'm going to do it again through God's power. David was quietly confident. David was publicly persistent. Persistent. When David shows up at the front lines and he hears Goliath and and he says, says, who is this? I'm going to shut him up. His brothers tell David, shut up and go home. You don't belong here. But David was publicly persistent. My mother-in-law will appreciate this. She was an English teacher for years. David was reticent to retaliate. This means he was slow. He wasn't hurried up. He didn't return the spear of Saul, though he could have. David was earnestly efficient. He carried out Saul's ridiculous commands over and over. In fact, Saul began, because of his jealousy, to send David out to do impossible things as a military person in the hopes that the Philistines would kill him. David was predominantly patient. He waited for God's timing. We're going to talk about that a little more next week, by the way. And David was nearly perfect. Nearly perfect. He fell to temptation, but he didn't fail to keep trying. You know, if you think you'll never be like David, because you've messed up too much, you've got to know that that God wasn't asking David to be perfect, just persistent. And that's exactly what he wants from you. Romans chapter 2 verse 7 says that if we persist in doing good, we'll gain glory and honor and eternal life. But if we seek only our own benefit, we'll gain nothing. Saul tried to write his own story and it didn't end well for him. But David let God write his story and it's still being written today. David's story is still being written because Jesus, Jesus came from the line of David. And David's promise from God was that if you follow me with all your heart, your line will be on the throne forever. And that's exactly what's happened. The kingdom of God in Christ will never come to an end. But for God to start writing your story, you've got to put the pen down. You've got to stop thinking that you can do it all on your own and start trusting that no matter what place you're in in life, obscurity or popularity or scrutiny, God is growing you for the next season. Instead of planning out your own story, we need to start seeking ways to give God glory no matter what place we're in, in life. Just like David, we've got to trust God with the timeline of our lives. If you're a believer in Jesus today, you may not like where you're at in life. Whether that's obscurity or popularity or, or scrutiny or, or maybe security and you, you think you're exactly where you wanna be and everything's going great. But where you're at may be exactly where you need to be if you're going to be the king or the queen one day. And if you can let God write your story, it will continue to bring him glory long after you're gone. You know, if I were writing my story, I'd be the pastor of a bigger church, I'd have a better payday a greater platform, and a big, fancy building. But I'm going to let God write our story. Because long after I'm gone and you're gone, I expect this church to continue to bring glory to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for using us in ways that we can't even now imagine. Thank you for calling us to be a part of this story that you're writing in our lives. And thank you, God, that 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 story isn't about our glory, it's about your glory. And I ask, God, that each and every one of us would, would be able just to step back, to put down the pen, and to let you write us into your story. As we do that, God, you're you're gonna take us places and you're gonna do things among us that, that we might never dream. But in the end, the glory is not ours. It's yours. And so, Father, today, we submit to you. We confess, God, that we've messed up and we've sinned and we've gone the wrong way in our lives and we've tried to write our own story and in some cases we've even tried to write you out of our story but God we come this morning in repentance and just say I'm sorry God we're going to put down the pen and when we do that you will pick it up and you will write us into your story and you will do things in our lives that we We can't imagine, and we thank you for that. We thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives and in our church. We thank you for the story you're writing, and would our lives not be about the show, but would we be all about how we grow each and every day, step by step along the way, would we follow you, and would we see your glory, not our own? Jesus' name.